Good morning. I just flew in from Miami and boy are my arms tired. Thank you. Some of you remember that old stale joke. Uh, good to be with you this morning. Thank you for those who prayed for our conference yesterday. We had an incredible time. It was a wonderful time uh, being with so many Cuban and Puerto Rican Americans. And uh, of course, since we were in Miami, had to enjoy some paella, uh, which was fantastic. And um, I must be hungry this morning. I don't know what's going on. But it was just a great time. Always a pleasure to share the platform with Amir Sarfati and also to meet new pastors uh, that I've never met before. Pastor Raz from uh, Calvary, Miami, a dear and wonderful brother, gifted Bible teacher. We just had a tremendous time. So thank you for your prayers. It was a uh, long journey home last night, but I did get 12 hours sleep. It took me three days to get it, but I did get 12 hours sleep. So I'm ready to go this morning. How about you? Here we go. Open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. And when we have a word of the magnitude of the one we have for this year, we're sure to encounter some monuments of Scripture as we make our way through the course of our PowerPoints each year, each month rather. And that's going to be proven as true today. Now, our verses today are not like some of the most famous misquotes of Scripture, like money is the root of all evil. The Bible doesn't say that. Nor does it say God helps those who help themselves. Now, the fact is the money, love of money is the root of all kinds of evil is the actual quote from 1 Timothy 6.10. And God doesn't help those who help themselves. He helps those who are helpless, which is all of us. Amen? Now, what we need to remember this morning is that our words, our verses rather, are so significant that most Christians not only know the content of them, most Christians know the address of the verses that are before us this morning and those around it. Now, as is true with all scripture, context must be determined by reading what is before and after any set of verses, no matter how famous they may be. And we're going to do just that this morning, as we already read our PowerPoint verses for the month of March. Now, remember the word trust in the Hebrew is batach, and it means to be confident. It talks about being secure, even bold, carefree, not careless, but carefree and hopeful. Now, we also mentioned last month that Webster defines trust as reliance on the integrity and strength of another. And boy, do we have one who is strong, who is for us. Amen. It also means confident expectation. It defines trust as a person on whom one relies. And the example used by Webster's dictionary is God is my trust. And he indeed is our object of trust today. Now, Psalm 18, 1 to 3, David said, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, and whom I will, what? Trust, batak. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, I will call upon the Lord, who is worthy to, to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemies. Now, if we only read David's statement that his God is his strength and he will trust in him, 
we would fail to see that David loved the Lord, that David indeed saw the Lord as his fortress. And because he was the object of his trust, that he had a secured salvation in the Lord and the Lord was his stronghold. And because of those things and others, he is worthy to be praised and God saves us from our enemies. Now, our verses today are indeed a pinnacle among monuments of Scripture. We're going to read them in their context and glean all that is at least humanly possible in one study. Now, Proverbs is written in what's called a poetic style, and it employs a Hebrew literary device called poetic parallelism. It's two poetic lines, not lines that rhyme with one another, but rather they have a parallel relationship with each other, like sowing and reaping. Hosea 8.7 says, sow the wind and reap the what? Reap the whirlwind. That's poetic parallelism. And it can either be positive or negative. And all the parallels in our verses today are positive. Somebody say, thank you, Lord, for that. Now, they are not unlike the formula that Hosea proposed. Now, the focus of the Proverbs is on human character and conduct. And the observations and admonitions are not limited to national Israel, but rather to the individual that loves and follows after God. Now, Proverbs is an exhortation as a whole to live wisely, which is a synonym for living godly. Now, Titus 2, 11 and 12 reminds us that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly when we have time to do so. No. When? In the present age. So if you read that at any point in time, any season of history, it will be true and applicable to the reader. Now, Proverbs 3 isn't going to just teach us how to live godly in this present age, but it's going to remind us also of the benefits of doing so. And our title this morning is simply The Wisdom of Trust. The Wisdom of Trust. Is it wise to trust God? Well, of course it is. And the object of our trust being the Lord, and there are other contributing authors to the book of Proverbs, but it's introduced to us as the Proverbs of Solomon, and he's going to express the importance and wisdom of trusting the Lord. Now, Proverbs 1, 1 through 7 says, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel, to know what? Wisdom and instruction to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise, attain wise counsel to understand a proverb and an enigma or a mysterious saying. The words of the wise and their riddles, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise what? Wisdom and instruction. There are no fools here this morning. Wow, I thought you'd be a little more into that than that. There are no fools here this morning. We see the word of God as written, as inspired in its nature and infallible on every page. Now, to despise the fear of the Lord and his wisdom and instruction leaves us living the life of a fool. But I believe we would all prefer the wisdom of trust rather than the life of the fool. So are you ready this morning? 
Stand and read with me, please, from Proverbs chapter 3. We'll look at 1 through 10 as our text, as a frame, if you will, for the famous verses we quoted already today. Proverbs 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. And Lord, we thank you for the beautiful promises we have, or the proclamations, I should say, we have before us here this morning. And Lord, may we be wise enough to heed them and not just glean truth from them, but trust in them as well. We thank you for our time this morning. Speak to us, we pray. Give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, the poetic parallelism is evident in our sets of verses, but we also find three thematic elements, so to speak, that we can offer this morning through the wisdom of Solomon as he offers this counsel to his son. He's likely addressing young people in general, which is all of us. Now, we will find the first of the three themes in verses 1 through 4, where Solomon offers his first word of counsel in the negative and then reinforces it with a statement in the positive. Now, this literary device, if you're interested, is called synthetic parallelism, if anyone was curious about that. Now, Solomon says, do not forget. That's the negative. Let your heart keep. That's the positive. Now, this wasn't a new concept of letting your heart keep the principles and precepts of God. For Joshua, years earlier, some 400 years earlier, was given the same exhortation in Joshua 1.8, another famous pair of verses, 1.8 and 9, where Joshua was told, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may what? Observe to do according to all that is written in it. Then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. And we can see the parallel uh, uh, aspect of this as well here as as, uh, Joshua is told to meditate on the word day and night, observe to do what is written in it. And then there's going to be benefits in his own life because of him employing the wisdom to obey the word of God. Now, this is what Solomon is saying here. Do not forget God's law and let your heart keep his commands and they will add length of days, long life and peace to you. Now, we need to pause for a moment and recognize that the Proverbs are descriptive. They are not prescriptive. In other words, they are not guaranteed formulas to bring about 
what Solomon has observed. They are his observations of general truths concerning life. In other words, many of the maxims that are given should be recognized simply as guidelines and not ironclad promises. And and we know this is true because I think we all recognize there are those who did not forget the Lord's word. There are those who did keep his command who did not have length of days and died young. Men like Jim Elliott and many others through the course of history died at a very early age as compared to those who have a long life. So again, these are general observations made by a man who was given wisdom that was unparalleled in the course of history. Now, the next maxim given is, let not mercy and truth forsake you and bind them around your neck or wear them like a necklace. The result is you find favor and high esteem with God and men. Now, I don't know about you, but it sounds like trusting God is pretty wise on our part to do. So I hope we all employ that uh, particular principle here in the rest of our days before God comes to get us. And yesterday, I tell you, I always get fired up at any prophecy conference because the Lord is coming soon. And it's very exciting to consider the evidence that is before us and why we ought to be comforted with the hope that he's coming for his bride, having gone to prepare a place for us. Now, here's our first point regarding the wisdom of trust this morning. Listen, and it does a bit of uh, housekeeping, so to speak, doctrinally. Obedience to God's word may not save you, but it will definitely benefit you. Obedience to God's word may not save you, but it will definitely benefit you. Now listen, the only way obeying God's word can save you is that if you never violate it, if you never sin, if you never do anything wrong, if you never have an impure thought, you can stand before the Lord and say, I have never sinned and therefore I don't need a savior. And the number of people that will be able to do that is Zippo. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Amen. And therefore, not forgetting God's law, keeping his commands does make for a peaceful, blessed and even long life. Now, I have to say, as I was considering the words of Solomon, I don't have to worry about developing sclerosis of the liver because I'm no longer a drunk. Amen. I don't have to worry about destroying my marriage through adultery because I am faithful to my wife. And because of these things, obeying these precepts, my life is good. Listen, I don't have to worry about getting arrested because I don't do illegal things most of the time. I may get a speeding ticket now and then, but if they had to search my car, they wouldn't find anything illegal in it. Amen. Now, these are just examples of how one thing can impact another, and that is what the wisdom of trust is all about. Listen, we're not here to say, you know what, if you obey God, if you do all the things that God calls us to do, that he's going to accept you. No, you are accepted in the beloved Jesus Christ, and that's how you get into heaven. But listen, until we get there, obeying God's word is the best way to live. It is the wisest way to live because it removes so many of life's negatives from us as possibilities. Or it also helps us with that universal law of sowing and reaping. I've reaped enough whirlwinds in my life. I don't want to reap anymore. So I don't sow to the wind anymore. Don't leave me hanging up here. You could say the same thing. 
It's true for all of us. We shouldn't sow to the wind and thus reap the whirlwind. Now, interesting that the Hebrew word shalom is most often translated as peace, but it actually has a much broader meaning. It means health, prosperity, and peace. And that's what God has offered to us, health, prosperity, and peace through obedience to his word. Now, again, these are general observations. They are what happen most of the time in life. Now, Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep him in perfect shalom, health, prosperity, and peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he does what? Trust in you. Philippians 4.6, a New Testament parallel passage, says, Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the Shalom, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Boy, do we need our hearts and minds guided today. Now, it's popular today to cry foul at any mention of obedience to God's word as a necessary part of your walk with the Lord. But the Bible doesn't support that position. The Bible says that's the wise way to live. Trusting God, obeying his word is the smart way to live. It's the fool who says no to such things. And we don't want to live the life of a fool. Over and over in both Testaments, we're told about the wisdom of trust. And trust is always manifest, manifested in our actions. Good works may not, good works will not get you into heaven, but they are beneficial to us while we await our arrival there. The Lord could come get us today. I'm good with that. What say you? Now, let's get to the famous pair of verses and then add seven and eight for context. Look at uh, verses five through eight. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Now, here we have the opposite sequence of verse 1 where Solomon says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. The positive, lean not on your own understanding. That's the negative. The result, the Lord will direct our paths. David said the same concept was true in Psalm 37, 23 to 34. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. He directs our path and he delights in his way, the way the Lord has directed us to. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Do I need to read that again? Though I love that, though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down for the Lord upholds him with his hand. That's great news, not just today, but every day. And what a reminder, a wonderful reminder, when the Lord directs our path and we step off the path once in a while, we are not utterly cast down, but he continues to uphold us with his hand. And Solomon follows this with further counsel concerning the wisdom of trust in the Lord, where he warns not to be wise in our own eyes. Some of you have probably seen that little poster or sticker that said, those of you who think you know it all are very annoying to those of us who do. There's a lot of know-it-alls around in every age, amen? 
And yet the Bible says through the wisdom of Solomon, the observations concerning life in the Proverbs, that we are not to be wise in our own eyes, but we rather should fear the Lord and depart from evil. And the result is health to our flesh and strength to our bones. Now, David again gives us a prime example where he says in Psalm 32, 1 to 5, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones did what? They grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Now, Psalm 32 records at least in part David's life experience between the sin with Bathsheba, the murder of Uriah, and the confrontation by Nathan about David's sin. He was silent about his own sin, and he felt like he was withering away. The Lord's hand of conviction was heavy upon him, and when he confessed his sin, the Lord forgave him, and the blessings of having forgiven transgressions began to flow in his life once again. Solomon says, there is a better way to live as he contrasts the fear of the Lord with being wise in one's own eyes or opinion. Now, Proverbs 26, 10 to 12 also says, the great God who formed, what's the next word? Everything gives the fool his hire and the transgressor his wages. As a dog returns to his own vomit, so is a fool who repeats his folly. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for who? For a fool than for him. Now we all agreed we're not fools here today. Amen? So we see the wisdom of God to be greater than our own. Now the opposite of what the person who fears the Lord and departs from evil is going to experience is reserved for those who repeat their folly because they think they are smarter than God. We have a lot of people around today who think they're smarter than God, who think they know more than God. And there's one other guy in the course of history that thought that he should be exalted above God. What's his name? Lucifer. I will exalt my throne above God was his heart's desire. He was one who was wise in his own eyes, so to speak. Now, Proverbs 9, 9 through 11 says, Give instruction to a wise man, and he will still be wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me, your days will be multiplied and years of life will be added to you. Now, we need to drive this point home today because there are myriads of people who think they have a better handle on how to do things and what is right and wrong than God. They are wise in their own eyes. And the Lord says the fool has more hope than them. Do you believe that is true this morning? Well, let's drive the point home with our point. Listen this morning. I'll have to explain it, but I think you'll get the gist of it. You can't define spiritual truth if there's sin in your life. You can't define spiritual truth if there's sin in your life. 
Now, one of my favorite McGeeisms is when he said, this is God's universe and he does what he pleases. You might think you have a better way, but you don't have a universe. This is God's universe. God set things up. God defined right and wrong. And so many people today are so wise in their own opinions, they feel completely comfortable saying God is wrong, thus the Bible is wrong. How can someone who is wrong themselves define for others what is right? The only one who can define what is right and wrong is one who is never wrong, never done anything wrong, who spoke all things into existence, who holds them together to this very hour, who is tested in all points just as we are, yet without sin. Only the one who is perfect is the one who can identify and define that which is true and that which is right and wrong and how sin can be measured. After all, in Psalm 19, 7 through 11, David said, the law of the Lord is pretty good. That's what? It's perfect. It's without defect. What capacity does the word of God have? Converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is what? Warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Now, there are people today who say the Bible is actually wrong about this or that. And these are the same people who, like all people, sin every day. So they are disqualified from defining what is spiritually true and what is morally right. Now, that includes matters of gender, sexuality, and any other matter of life. We found and heard yesterday many times that so often in prophecy, you go all the way back to what happened in Genesis and the first preaching of the gospel in Genesis 3.15. And we find that God created two genders, male and female, and all of creation continues to procreate after its kind. Some say today, you know what? You can choose your gender and switch it every day if you so choose. That's the thought of a fool. Biologically, your gender is predetermined. And of course, there are anomalies, hermaphrodites and things of that nature. But the fact is, these are mutations away from God's norm. And it's part of the fall. It's part of what we experience in life. But if God said there's male and female, that's the end of the genderless period of end of end, end of sentence. Amen. Now, some today say, you know what? Why shouldn't two people who love each other be able to get married? Because God said, say God said. God said marriage is between one man and one woman. And that's the end of the qualification for marriage list. And if God said it, that's it. Now, I'll remind you of the old story where there was a bumper sticker that floated around for many years. I think it was back in the uh, 80s and early 90s. that said, God said it. I believe it. That settles it. And a college professor put that sticker on his door at a Christian college and he crossed out, I believe it. And a lot of the students came and said, hey, why did you do that? He said, because the fact is, God said it, that settles it. Doesn't matter if you believe it or not. If God said it, that's it. It's period, amen. And the law of the Lord is perfect. 
And that's why we don't trifle with the word of God. Listen, God has defined human sexuality. He has defined our biological identities as male and female. He has said there are certain things that we ought to refrain from that are harmful to us. And refraining from them will benefit us greatly in this life. You can't earn your way to heaven, but you can live a much better life on your way there by obeying God. There is more hope for a fool than for those who are wise in their own eyes. Why? Because you can't define sin if you're a sinner yourself. Are there any sinners here today? Raise a hand to your neighbor because nobody's putting their hand up this morning. Now, do we need an outside unit of measure by which to gauge our activities? We can't look to each other and say, well, I'm better than them because that's still two sinners who are comparing one to another. There has to be a unit of measure that is perfect, a standard that is outside of humanity because we are all sinners in need of a Savior that God has supplied. Now, this whole book of wisdom repeats the same pattern over and over. Do this and that will happen. Don't do this and that will happen. And the doctrines and definitions of sin in the Bible are as infallible as the rest of the Bible. And those who keep them are going to experience the benefits of having done so. A good life in the here and now and a great, indescribable, unbelievable, amazing life in the hereafter. You know, people often ask me about a travel schedule uh, such as I've had these past few days and the lack of sleep. And, uh, you know, I went to bed reasonably early Friday night because I knew we had a conference the next day. But just to give you an idea about the surface of the bed, when I laid down, my back cracked in two places. So it was like putting a sheet on a hunk of concrete. And, you know, I'm used to sleeping on a giant marshmallow. How many had a water bed uh, back in the day? I slept on a water bed for 25 years. And after we got married, uh, I had to put a heater in it. And a cover pad on it. I like sleeping right on the vinyl where it's about 20 degrees. And that's just perfect for sleeping. But this was hard. I couldn't sleep. You know, I got to teach the next day. And I kept thinking about that old story where a pastor said, I didn't have time to study. I guess I'll have to rely on the Holy Spirit today. Well, I hope we're relying on the Holy Spirit every time we get together. Amen. Now, listen, we have plenty of time to rest when we get to heaven. That's why Jesus said, Enter into your rest when he said to the servant who had done or been good and faithful. Enter in to the joy of the Lord. Enter into your rest. Listen, we're going to be in heaven for a long time. So let's put the pedal to the metal until we get there. Amen. Now, one more nugget to mind from this book, reminding us of the wisdom of trust in the Lord. Now, we've already locked the doors, so don't get up. You're stuck for the rest of the message. Here we go. You ready? (laughs) That was really weak. (laughs) Honor the Lord with your what? Possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Now, before some of you check out mentally, listen. In Israel, honoring the Lord with the first fruits of your crops was a way of expressing gratitude for God's provision and a fruitful harvest season. In Deuteronomy 26, 1 and 2, we're told through Moses, It shall be when you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, and you possess it and dwell in it, 
You shall take some of the first of all the produce of the ground, which you shall bring from your land that the Lord God is giving you, and put it in a basket and go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. Then 26, 9 through 11, he has brought us to this place and has given us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land, which you, O Lord, have given me. Then you shall set it before the Lord, your God and worship before the Lord, your God. So you shall rejoice in every good thing, which the Lord, your God has given to you and your house, you and the Levite and the stranger who is among you. Now, This is the Old Testament. How's that for a revelation? This is the Old Testament. And the New Testament tells us Jesus fulfills the law. And therefore we know that since this was fulfilled, we no longer need to express gratitude for the Lord's provision. I hope you say no. Now, in response to giving God the first fruits of the land, Solomon says in verse 4, God promised to fill the barns with grain and the vats with new tyros, freshly squeezed grape juice. Now, the general principle is that godliness results in gain and personal piety brings prosperity. Now, do we find this endorsed in the New Testament? Absolutely. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, in the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, but seek what? First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. All the things that people worry about. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Jesus, in reply to these thoughts, said, put God's kingdom first and God will take care of you. Now, rather than debating whether or not tithing is a New Testament doctrine, we would do better to focus on the greater principle that Solomon writes of here because it is a timeless part of the wisdom of trust. Now, remember, what we're reading are life observations made by Solomon concerning the general truths and realities that we experience in our days here on earth. And he says... Honoring the Lord with your possessions and the first fruits of your increase are basically in line with what Jesus said about putting the kingdom of God first. So let's employ some more poetic parallelism here. Here, are you ready? Listen, the one who is a miser with all that God has given them cannot expect to reap the generous person's life. That's poetic parallelism. The one who is a miser with all God has given them cannot expect to reap the generous person's life. As a man sows, so shall he reap. Listen, you can't plant corn and grow potatoes. If you plant corn, you're going to grow corn. If you plant potatoes, you're going to grow potato salad. Of course, we all know that. Now, you can argue all day about whether or not tithing is a New Testament doctrine, but that's not the question. That's not even what we're talking about here. The question is, do you put God first in every aspect of your life, including your finances? And those who do will have success in their endeavors. The vats overflowing is a result of a planted vineyard. It isn't about doing nothing and expecting everything like so many do today. And by the way, I thought it very curious because there were so many Cubans in Miami. This guy named Bernie isn't super popular down there. He's trying to make America like Cuba. Now... 
Listen, it's not about just being taken care of and doing nothing and having things handed to you. The vats are overflowing because someone planted a vineyard, worked the vineyard, and gave God the first fruits from the vineyard, and then watched God bless him or her in response to putting him first. Now, here's our final point about the wisdom of trust. Get rid of all the nonsense and negativity about honoring God with our possessions, and let's put it like this. Are you ready? Listen, there will never be a time when our efforts exceed God's blessings. There will never be a time when our efforts exceed God's blessings. He will never be indebted to us. Never. And I like how some have put it via illustration that uh, we give with a teaspoon and God returns with a bucket. And he indeed is more than generous to us. He has watched over us, cared for us. And the fact that you're sitting here last night tells you he's still on the throne. He still watched you breathe in and out all night. He still said no to the devil's attempts to kill you overnight. And he still made sure you could come in and hear the word of the Lord this morning. He has cared for you. He has watched over you. He has watched over me. And how can we not express to him thanks to what we do? Now, I pray for many things, as you all do. I asked the Lord, I prayed for strength this morning, that the Lord would multiply that meager amount of sleep that I got last night. And, uh, you know, I was so excited coming home. I knew it was going to be late. I knew it was going to be a short night's sleep. No biggie. Uh, that happens all the time. But we get into LAX. It's 10 after 10. We're a half hour early. And I'm thinking about the fist bump and the head butt and the chest butt that I'm going to give to the pilot for getting me home early so I can get more sleep. So we sat on the tarmac until 10 to 11. We sat on the tarmac for 40 minutes. Well, he got no high five when I went by, I'll tell you that, even though it wasn't his fault. But the fact is, listen, when I pray, when I ask the Lord for things and petition him for my and my family's needs, I have never, ever asked God to give me what I deserve. I beg that he doesn't give me what I deserve. I don't want what I deserve. I want what's according to his grace and kindness and mercy. I want his love and blessings in my life that have always far exceeded my feeble efforts to give thanks to him in every aspect of life. And listen, let me throw out this bonus point, so to speak, this morning and hopefully correct some wrong thinking. Listen, if you're grumpy about giving, you don't understand all you've received. The fact is, it's an honor to give to the Lord. And we're not going to take an offering this morning. We've been together 21 years. We've never passed a hat even one time. We're going to not start that now. And the fact is, what we need to understand is 2 Corinthians 9, 6-8. But this I say, who, who, he who sows sparingly will also reap bountifully. As a man sows, so shall he reap. He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loves the grumpy giver. He does. Amen? But it says here he loves the cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. I can't even count the times I've heard people say, cheerfulness is the New Testament standard of giving. 
Only give what you can be cheerful about. Listen, cheerfulness is about the attitude, not the amount. And the fact is, yes, we see tithing as an Old Testament principle, but the overlying principle is God being put first in every aspect of our life. And those who say such things, they act like verse 9 isn't there. So bountifully reap. That's the amount, not the cheerfulness. Cheerfulness is an emotion. Could you imagine if the rest of the directives of the Bible were obeyed based on how we feel about them? And whether we're cheerful about them? You know, I just can't get into this thou shalt not steal thing. It's just not my thing. I just, no, listen, we have directives about uh, what our own benefits are going to be by obedience to God and supporting God's work. Now, those who say such things, as I said, I think rather sadly have a negative attitude towards giving, and we shouldn't have that. It's an honor. It's a blessing to support the work of the Lord. And again, if you think the church is only after your money, you've come to the wrong place to make that argument. Because as I said, I remember, I think about this, I've shared this over the years, on our second Sunday together in Pastor Dave and Rhonda's uh, family room, somebody came and handed me a check. And I said, what's that for? Well, for the church. Well, I don't look at Dave. He's looking at me. I'm thinking, uh, I don't know what to do with that. So I called over to Costa Mesa and said, hey, actually I talked to uh, Steve Mays at the time and said, you know, is there somebody plowing the ground in Tustin? He said, nope, never been a Calvary in Tustin all these years. There's never been a Calvary chapel in Tustin. So go for it. So then I called back and said, hey, somebody's trying to give us money. We'll open a bank account. So Dave had a little coffee can in his house. It was empty. We set it on the uh, family room, uh, dining room table and said, hey, if you want to support the work, put out that coffee can. Well, then the church began to grow. And we got a big coffee can. And then the coffee can became too small and we got a basket. And then when we were in our first building, that basket was sitting on a table near the door. And one of our contractors came to me or carpenters came to me and said, you got a basket of money sitting right next to the door. I'm going to build some offering boxes and they sit out in the foyer right now. And as I've said, we've never passed the plate, passed the hat. God has always cared for us and he's caring for us now. Why? Because there are people who understand that God's work is worthy to be supported financially. And they put him first above all things, including that. And listen, it's nothing to be grumpy about. It's something to be excited about. Amen. Now. The truth is, there have been countless offerings over the years by people who did nothing more, who weren't under some guilt trip, but just simply wanted to support what God was doing. Now, listen, that didn't exempt them from hard times at times, but it did assure them of God's providential blessings during hard times. I was thinking back to the housing crash of 2008 and how many families it impacted here at the church. And it was tough and it was a struggle. And paychecks, I'll be honest with you, were very sporadic. And sometimes the paycheck was simply Dave asking me or him saying, you know what, I got to pay a couple bills this week. And that was the extent of the uh, bi-monthly paychecks. And it wasn't a fun time, I'll be honest with you. But I'll tell you what, we paid all of our bills. We never missed our rent because God is faithful and his faithful people made sure that we made our way through. That's how God operates. Amen. 
Listen, I, I've never met the Lucky Charms leprechaun at the end of a pot of gold. And that's how God has provided for the church. It's never happened for me. Never happened for anybody else. It's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. So, and by the way, I don't have any announcement. And uh, there's nothing to say coming up. It's just what's in our text. So we're teaching it. Now, let me say this. If you have a grumpy attitude towards giving, you're not hurting God. And you're not going to be utterly cast down. But you're ripping yourself off of blessings that are reserved for those who sow bountifully. Now, one more Old Testament set of verses that are misapplied by those who use them, both to endorse tithing and those who use them to refute New Testament tithing. Now, again, the whole principle is missed, which is the same one Solomon is teaching, and it's from Malachi 3, 8 through 11. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? The Lord's answer was in tithes and what? Offerings. You are cursed for the curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be enough room to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. There's the planting of the vineyard. Nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field. There's the full vats. Says the Lord of hosts, all the nations will call you blessed for you will be a delightful land. Says who again? The Lord of hosts. Now listen, this was written to Israel about tithing. And it's within the directives of the law. But the principle is what's too often ignored. And it's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it's what Solomon was writing. And it's the principle that Jesus said, put God first above anything and everything in your life and experience the blessings of having done so. God will pour out blessings far beyond our efforts could ever earn or deserve. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness And he will add all the things we need in measures far beyond what we deserve. Somebody say, Amen. Amen. And Father, we are grateful for this time in text this morning. Thank you for these pinnacle verses that we can trust in you with all of our heart. And the foolishness is exposed to us of leaning on our own understanding. Thank you that as we acknowledge you in all our ways, you will direct our path. Lord, so help us to just simplify this into what Jesus said, to seek you first and let the adding to us be done by you. We thank you. We trust you. And we want to work hard for you and for your glory and do all things as unto you. So we thank you for our time this morning. Thank you for the conference uh, in Miami uh, this past weekend. Thank you for those who committed their lives to you. And we pray for them as they begin their journey. And Lord, as we said and heard so many times over Uh, yesterday's conference and all the others that we're at, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. And until then, Lord, may we occupy until you come. And we say, even so, come, Lord Jesus. We thank you for our time together this morning. Help us to apply the wisdom of trust in our own lives each and every day. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.